is Exit V-Law, powered by BackSportsPage.com. Good evening, everyone. Today is Thursday, March 5th. Tonight we have a preview of the NL West on this new episode of the Exit V-Law podcast. After dark, it is currently 10.07 p.m., it is quite late, but Henry and I are ready to go. We're going to talk about the burning questions for each team in the division, potential rookie of the years, Cy Young Award winners, and MVPs of the division, as well as over-unders for each team. Henry, we have a great show due up tonight. How are you feeling? I'm doing good, Adam. Thanks for asking. Uh, I do want to say before we dive in, I have a correction from last episode. I wrongly claimed that we were missing the finale of The Bachelor, and it was actually – it was the second-to-last episode I found out later. Uh, the last episode is coming up Monday, so stay tuned, folks. Thank you for that additional comment. I'm sure the listeners, however many we may have, and some of you are very happy about that. Cubs fans, too. We know the Cubs are lolling in their sorrows, and we'll be listening and tuning into The Bachelor, right? Well, I don't know. You, you got baseball and Bachelor. They're not mutually <laughs> exclusive. That's fair. That's fair. Well, right before actually we get into the NL West, there's a couple recent extensions, one of them being the 2018 NL MVP in Christian Yelich. And a recent source says he's ha- he signed a seven-year, 188.5 million extension. We've seen that go as high as... 215 million, but this seems the seven year 188.5 seems a bit more accurate for the time being. Henry, is this a great, good extension for Yelich? Does he get underpaid, overpaid? How should the Brewers and their fans be feeling about this? Uh, Brewers and their fans should be feeling ecstatic that you get to keep around one of the best players in the game for the next seven plus years. And you're doing it what I think is a bit of a bargain. I, I think Yelich could have got more money based on his production the last two seasons. But, I mean, that's obviously still uh, a lot of money. And maybe he just wanted the security of not having to worry about it. So, I, I guess, you know, he wouldn't have signed it if he wasn't happy with it. Uh, I, I think it seems a little low, but more power to you, Yelich. I, I certainly agree with you. The Brewers and their fans should be so happy right now. This is the largest contract in Brewers history. This is larger than Ryan Braun, and the Brewers are no longer a small market team in this sense, too, which is pretty crazy because I don't. I think they've barely gone over $100 million for a deal, and that was with Braun. So pretty wild stuff, but you are correct, Henry, in that Yelich should have gotten a lot more. You see what Harper's getting. You see what Trout's getting. But you see what Beth's probably getting next year, and – other guys, Cole, Betts, Yelich is right. Yeah, Machado too. Is that, how, how could I forget him? Yeah, but it. I don't know. I mean, I guess he, he really enjoys being a brewer, and if, if that's where he's happy, then well, well, good for you, Christian. Yeah, certainly getting paid the big bucks no matter how you slice it. And another pretty interesting extension goes to Yoan Mikata, who is signing a five-year, $70 million extension with the White Sox, which can be extended to six years, $90 million, with a club, uh, if, it, if a club option is accepted by the team. What do you think of that deal, Henry? Honestly, that one, I mean, obviously the dollar amount is lower, but in terms of value, that seems like it could be even more of a steal. That, that seems pretty low to me. Granted, uh, Mankata is still... 
kind of proving himself, but he's been pretty awesome so far. So I think the White Sox are going to end up having a pretty awesome deal on their hands there when all is said and done. I disagree with you just just a tad bit. This deal can definitely be an absolute steal for the White Sox, and Makata had an amazing season last year. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was pretty close, if not at a 2020 player, and batted around 280. He also cut down his strikeout rate, but he does still have strikeout-prone tendencies. It's not an end-all, but... He, I think he led the league two years ago of like 213 or so. So it's not a given that he will, of course, like somewhere to, like, or if, you, if you're comparing him to Yelich, Yelich is going to probably see that deal. Mankata is a bit of a coin toss, but he should be able to exceed this margin. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think you make a good point that the Yelich deal, that's like a no, no-brainer no that it is going to be a steal for the Brewers, whereas this one, it's the potential of being a really good deal for the White Sox because Yelich is a much more proven player than Moncada. I think it can end up paying off, and I agree he needs to continue to cut his strikeout rate. It was the league high two years ago, but he did. He batted three fifteen last season. Wow. and. Uh, 25 homers. He only had 10 steals, but he has the speed for, for at least 2020 stuff. I, mean, I think he stole like over 40 bases one season in the minors. So he's got the, he's got the tools. He's got the talent. Uh, just, you know, the hardest part, putting it all together. He certainly could be an MVP candidate. He, as you mentioned, he can certainly be a 30-30 player, if not greater than that. So it'll be fun to see how Mankata pans out. Well, that's all we have for just the general news, and now let's dive right into it. We're going to go to the burning questions with each team, so who better to start than the Dodgers? The Dodgers have some of the best depth in baseball, so Henry, where do you fit everybody on the team? That's tough, especially you add Mookie to that outfield and you fail to complete the Jock Peterson deal, and then you still have A.J. Pollock out there, who I expect will fill more of a platoon role this season and then the middle infield pretty crowded too all of a sudden with Gavin Lux bursting on the scene obviously you still have Corey Seager I mean you got to play Hernandez somewhere it's I mean it's it's certainly not a bad problem to have uh with having too much talent but yeah, it's it's crowded uh there and I would I would expect them to try and get a deal done if, you know, if uh, Chris Taylor, another guy there in the infield who can play outfield as well, who I was uh, forgetting in the log jam. But I would expect they try and move Jock Peterson still if that was the, the piece they were most willing to move as part of that Mookie deal, um, moving him to the Angels and the deal that fell through. So I would think that something's coming to get a, get rid of a little bit of clutter there. They have so many talented players in the team just to – to add a couple more players, such as Matt Betty and uh, Max Muncy on the team, too. And it, the Dodgers have always been very good about sharing the wealth, sharing the playing time. But you make a great point there, Henry. They should trade some of these guys, especially for perhaps some starting pitching help, perhaps some bullpen help. They have to recover a bit from the loss of Hyunjin Ryu. Maybe their rookies can help out a bit with that. But the bullpen... After uh, Jansen, Kelly, and Trinan, it doesn't look too, too great for the Dodgers, and trading one of their guys away, such as Jock Peterson, could certainly help. 
I think they do need more impact back into the bullpen, guys. Um, you mentioned the big three there, but they could use a little more help. They have all these like great swingman long relievers, mm-hmm. though, in Ross Stripling, Dustin May, and Julio Urias, uh, who we could see a couple of them joining the starting rotation as well. Uh, Tony Gonsolin, another guy who kind of filling that role. So they have talent in the bullpen, and I really like their rotation as well. But I do think that maybe they need to repurpose some of that talent, not only uh, their kind of swingman, uh, long relief slash starter guys, but also some of the excess uh, hitting they have and try and shore up the back end of that bullpen a little bit. I'm glad you mentioned that point. The back end of the bullpen certainly has talent, but this is the Dodgers. They haven't won since 1988. And they need as many impact relievers, especially as they can. That's probably their weakest point, which is still probably top 10 in baseball, I would say. And that leads in right to the next question. Can they finally win the World Series in 2020? They were spurned by the Astros and the Red Sox in 2017 and 2018, respectively. Now, both of those teams have been caught. The Dodgers added Mookie Betts and David Price. Is this their year? You would think, right? You add Mookie Betts to a team that was already one of the best in the league, and you don't lose all that much. Uh, I mean, yeah, Ryu was great last year, but I expect him to regress a little bit. I mean, you said it. They have all the talent in the world. They're certainly going to be in the conversation. They're just about a lock for the playoffs, which is half the battle. I I like the Dodgers to go to the World Series and – if it is them and the Yankees, as everybody seems to think, that'd be a hell of a World Series. I'd say seven games and anybody's guess who comes out ahead. It's really what the people want. And I know I'm super biased as a Yankee fan, but that'd be so much fun. Such a throwback. Just two powerhouse teams going at it. That would certainly be fun. And although the Dodgers should easily win the division, another very interesting team in the NL West is the Arizona Diamondbacks. And how good can we expect them to be in 2020? I think that they will will be very good. They were good last year, and then you kind of see the product of that in the offseason. They go out and they make some moves, uh, bringing in Madison Bumgarner from their division rival Giants, and then you go out and you trade for Starling Marte to boost a team that was already good. Yeah, I think they're certainly wild card contenders. With um, I, it's tough because I don't think they push the Dodgers for the division too much. But I mean, it's the Dodgers. They're a super team. They're going to win a hundred plus games. I can very well see the Diamondbacks uh, making a playoff run here, and maybe they continue to be buyers at the deadline uh, if if they get there and they're looking competitive. Try and add a couple pieces. Maybe um, maybe a little bit of bullpen help. They could use another couple bats in the lineup as well, I think. They are certainly not a perfect team, but they're really very, very cool because they trade away Goldschmidt, they trade away Grinky, and they retooled with guys, uh, in-house prospect Christian Walker, who burst out on the scene in 2019, and they added Madison Bumgarner in the offseason. And they have a lot of under-the-radar talent. Merrill Kelly is one name who had a pretty solid 2019. They also have Cole Calhoun, who had a career year. He's also a gold-glove defender. Starling Marte is great. Zach Gowan was a very impressive rookie. 
And a lot of people forget they won 85 games in 2019. So it was, it's not hard to see them passing that 91 threshold. And although they probably won't capture the Dodgers, the Dodgers should be well over 100, which we'll get to later. The D-bats certainly can be very, very good in 2020. And one of their guys who will be a big ass factor of them was breakout 2019 star Ketel Marte. And can he repeat his 2019 MVP candidate campaign? I think he absolutely can. And maybe some people want to call him a bust because he doesn't really, or a bust candidate, I should say, because he doesn't really have uh, too lengthy of a track record to back up last season. But the underlying data shows that the breakout was mostly legit. Uh, He was making hard contact. He was making a lot of contact, not striking out a lot. Uh, He's got power in his bat. And you started to see at the end of 2018 this breakout. So that makes me feel better about him coming out and backing it up. I mean, Cattell Marte is – he's a beast. He's got speed. He's got power. He makes contact. He is one of the more underrated players in today's game, I would say. I agree with you 100%. And it's hilarious because you never would have thought that Cattell Marte would be the more popular Marte, (laughs) nor would they be on the same team too. And (laughs) it's great that you mentioned also that he had a great end to the 2018 season because he was a very, very popular breakout 2019 pick. I don't think anyone... Expect him to do that well, but all his peripherals indicate that he is going to have a strong 2020 season. He is the most important bat in this Diamondbacks lineup, and without him, their offense is a lot worse. So if he can repeat what he did last year, the Diamondbacks could be very competitive. But moving on to the mostly downtrodden San Francisco Giants, It's the same story with them. They are hanging on to their 2010, 2012, 2014 legacy and also just having age-old veterans. So how much can their veteran presence contribute? Not much, Adam. The Giants are, in a word, gross. I I look at their roster and it's just – it's gross, man. They don't have very much to be excited about, uh, at least at the major league level right now. And I think they could be um, moving towards a rebuild. Uh, you you asked about their, their old veterans, how much do they have left. And I do still like Johnny Cueto. Uh, it feels like we haven't really seen him pitch very much these last couple seasons. I feel like he's been a little injury prone uh, but if from what we've seen when he has been out there, he's still got good stuff on a you know a start by start basis. But that lineup, man, like Buster Posey is maybe your best hitter, and like Evan Longoria's in the conversation. Then yeah, if it's 2012, then that's that's certainly respectable. But fast forward to 2020, this lineup is rough, and it's a bad ballpark to hit in. They are not going to score very many runs, my friend. They really aren't. And besides Posey, and everyone, I find it bizarre how some people still put Posey as one of the top 10 catchers in baseball. This guy has hit a total of 12 homers the past two seasons. He is a shell of his former self. 
They might as well just move him to first base. The only reason why he is there is because he's a San Francisco Giant hero and because of his lengthy extension. But Fuego Samarja can give you some innings. So no, Samarja pitched well in 2019. He is a regression candidate. Can still give some decent innings pitched. But you have guys such as Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, and it's just, like you said, it's gross. Those guys cannot contribute like they once were, and they are they really need to start the rebuild. So how, speaking about the rebuild, how is that looking, by the way? It was kind of weird. They, you know, everybody thought that they should trade Madison Bumgarner last year. It didn't seem like he was going to be coming back long-term, and it, it certainly looked like this team was trending towards being bad, and that spurs the thought that, hey, we should probably rebuild and at least be bad for a reason, or at least be bad like on purpose by design. But they they should start like right now, and I'm surprised they haven't already. They I think they, for a little bit around the All-Star break last year, they were overperforming and kind of thought, oh, maybe we make a wild card run. Uh, but you look at this roster, this is there's not really – any foundational pieces at the major league level right now? Do you see one looking at them, Adam? The only guy I can think of is, well, he's he's already graduated prospect status, but Mike Yastrzemski was a great breakout player, and they have some guys such as Mauricio Dubon, but I feel like a lot of their prospects are not that great or they kind of old. We've been hearing about Joey Bart and Heliot Ramos for ages and they have this new guy who came up last year, Logan Webb, who's pretty decent. But if they really want to start the rebuild, they right got to do it with GM Farhan Zaidi. I think I'm saying his name right. But if they really want to start the rebuild, they got to trade or at least get rid of Belt and Crawford and Posey. And that's when they could just rebuild, start from scratch, because they're not going to make the playoffs anytime soon. Nope. Especially not with the Dodgers. But, I mean, even if this was a weaker division, like, there's nothing there. Tear it down, start over, get some talent coming up through your system. I know it sucks. Uh, My Cubbies did it. But, as you see, uh, it pays off sometimes. Yeah, sometimes the long, grueling process. You know a lot more about that than I do, especially as a Cubs fan. But it does pay off, and the Giants need to start that sooner rather than later. Speaking of ugly and gross teams, we have to get to the Colorado Rockies. And let's start with the biggest situation surrounding them, and that is Nolan Arenado. But we see him get traded this season. Is he going to stay put in Colorado at all? Will he perform just as he did in previous years, or are we going to see kind of some bit of a decrease because of all the controversy? I kind of go back and forth on Nolan Arenado. Um, I feel like my inclination is to say that he's going to be in Colorado, that they're not going to get rid of him uh, because, I mean, he's probably the best third baseman in the game. It does get a little tricky if, you know, he has these public outbursts saying he doesn't want to be there. But not only is is he so talented to where the Rockies would want to keep him, contract makes him a little difficult to move 
Uh, and apparently, rightfully so, the Rockies had a pretty high asking price on Arenado, saying that they wanted not only top prospects, but that they wanted uh, MLB talent back as well. I believe they may have even said that they might want a, a little bit of help in uh, – uh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say um, about his contract, but that, that doesn't make sense in that, in that uh, situation. So let's strike that from the record. I don't think uh, Arenado gets moved, though, bottom line. I wouldn't be surprised if he got moved, but it's just it's just a really weird trade to think of. For example, with the Cubs, and, and you know this too, but trading Arenado for Bryant, that just seems very, very weird because he's still a powerful third baseman, but you just kind of get rid of the money, and then it, it just seems very strange and you also have to incorporate the fact that Arenado is a lot better than he is at home than he is on the road. It would still be a solid hitter across the board away from Coors Field, but it certainly helps him. But he probably wouldn't be a 40-homer player, 135 RBI player, too, if he was not at home. So hopefully him and the Rockies can work it out, and the Rockies can certainly start by trying to add some pitching. Yeah. That's that's always the issue in Colorado, and you know when you when you bring him up, you said Rockies gross, and I don't totally feel that way. The pitching, absolutely, I feel that way. It's as gross as any team in baseball. Yeah, all right, they're better than like the Orioles, so <laughs> I'll give them that. Maybe the Tigers, but the lineup is so good. I mean, you look at it; that's should be one of the stronger lineups in baseball. There are some weak spots. I'll give you that. But, I mean, obviously in, in Denver, too, you're going to put up some runs. It's, I mean, it's easier said than done, but it looks like you could just get some pitching and this is a playoff team. And they were a playoff team two, uh, two years in a row before last season. Honestly, I don't think their hitting's as good as you make it out to be. I'm not a big fan of Charlie Blackman. I think that one season he oh. had was really good. And don't get me wrong, his beard is by far the best in baseball. <laughs> it's it's pretty it's pretty gnarly and it's perfect for Colorado. But there's everyone's so affected by the course field effect. I think the only two real legitimate hitters in this Rockies lineup is Arenado and Story. I love Charlie Blackman, and it is tough for me to separate that from you know what's real versus what's boosted by Coors Field. I totally agree with you there. But, I mean, he's still a 314 hitter, and I, I need to look into his home road splits and see if he, if he holds up to that test. Uh, but, you know, I, I really like Charlie Blackman. He's, he's a great power hitter, and, you know, how much of that – all right, not great power hitter – Sorry, I'm all over the place tonight, Adam. I don't know what I want to say, but he he is a power hitter at least. I mean, 32 bombs last year, 29 the year before, 37 the year before that. Uh, Pretty good RBI numbers for a leadoff man. He scores a whole lot of runs in Colorado, I know, at great batting average. I think Charlie Blackman is pretty awesome, but you you do make a good point. It's hard to know how much of that is real, and he is getting older too. You also have to account for his defense as well. He is... He was once a very well-regarded center fielder, and they even had to move, shift him over to right field, and he wasn't even much better there. I, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. They do have guys such as Tapia who are not bad. The, I like their second-base combo of Garrett Hampton, Ryan McMahon, and eventually Brennan Rogers. That was very nice, but 
Desmond's totally a Coors Field product. David Dahl's a Coors Field product. And I've looked at the numbers a bit more and, you know, to our viewers and uh, to you as well, I would encourage you to look more into that, you know, agree and disagree once you look at the home road splits. But he does seem like he's a big beneficiary of that. And But let, nonetheless, let's try to get into a little bit more about the Rockies pitching. So can their pitching be as good as it was in 20, 2018? No, I don't think so. The as as uh, the longer we get, or the more we get removed away from that, the more that looks like an outlier. Because it was pretty bad last year, Adam, and that's kind of just par for the course when you're pitching in Coors Field, and they were pretty awesome in 2018. Kyle Freeland, uh, Herman Marquez, both having strong seasons there. I think even John Gray was pretty good in 2018, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. But I don't really see that more of that happening uh, this year, and that's that's part of that is I don't think their pitchers are all that good. But then you know the other half, maybe more of that equation is the altitude and pitching in that environment. Like, how could you be good there? Yeah, it certainly seems like a fluke. But everyone was so happy they were doing well because, like, finally the Rockies had good pitching. Kyle Friedwin had one of the best seasons ever in Rocky history, and then he had an ugly five plus ERA last season. John Gray was supposed to be the this next ace for the Rockies, and he's not. He's turning out to be a disappointment. Uh, I mean, Marquez is actually pretty decent. He still struggles at home similar to any Rocky pitcher. I know his ERA is over four at home, but considering at Coors Field, it's not bad. And then then just the bullpen, too. Guys who are used to be really, really good, such as Davis, McGee, and Shaw, so much money spent into it, and they're so bad. They are really, really bad. And for the most part, their bullpen is gross. That's that's kind of our word of the day here as, as we go along. One guy, one positive in the bullpen who I do like is Scott Oberg. Mm-hmm. He managed to have a two two five ERA last year, which in Colorado that might as well be like a point five ERA. Uh, and he was two four five the year before, so I think it's it's mostly legit. Uh, and he's got pretty good strikeout stuff, which helps. Uh, you don't want the ball going into play much there if you can help it. So I think he is uh, a bright spot at the end of that bullpen, but it's it's going to take a lot more than one guy. And who's to say if you can even count on a reliever being consistent year over year, especially in that environment? It is cool to hear that they had at least one consistent reliever, consistent being two years and hopefully Oberg and the bullpen and just the Rockies of Hull come back to their 2018-2017 form. But let's talk about a team that maybe is on the verge of a playoff run or at least a above 500 record, and that is the San Diego Padres, the last team in the NL West that we are going to talk about the burning questions with. So big burning question for the Padres is do they have the rotation for a full 162 game season? I think they have the potential to have the rotation that can hold up. Uh, it's, it's really a lot of unproven guys at this point, but it's guys that have all the upside in the world. Most of that uh, being Chris Paddock. I love him so much. And that's thanks in no small part to 
his uh, his assistance in me winning in the fantasy <laughs> championship last season. He's a beast, and hopefully they let him get his inning count a little bit higher this year. I know they want to take care of those young arms, and that is the responsible thing to do. But as a baseball fan, we want to see those guys go out there and throw as much. We want to see them play as much as we can. I like Joey Lucchese as well. Certainly not as much as Paddock, uh, but he has good swing and miss stuff too with uh, the ERA is a good bit higher. And Denelson Lamette is kind of in that mold as well. Uh, he gives up a little bit too much hard contact and... I think the walk rate is a little bit high for Lamette, but he's got a great strikeout rate as well. So they've got guys that can get a lot of strikeouts, and I think that's a big part of starting pitcher upside. But they're they're young, they're unproven, and they're they're going to have to to put it together if the Padres are going to compete this year. The key word for the Padres potential. The key word for the Padres is potential, and you mentioned it yourself. And I love hearing your totally unbiased opinion about Chris Paddock. I think this guy <laughs> can really, really be an ace for the Padres. And the fact that you mentioned Luchessi and Lamette is great, too. Both of them have a lot of potential. Richards has potential. Davies has potential. Up-and-coming prospect and up-and-coming ace, Mackenzie Gore, will make an impact in this rotation in 2020 at some point. So they definitely can do it, but I feel like a lot of – of these pitchers would have to go right. Yeah, they pretty much need they need everybody to kind of take a step forward, which it's probably not going to happen. Maybe it happens for a couple of them, but you're not going to get that from all five guys, which certainly to catch the Dodgers, they would need huge steps forward from everybody. But even to get to a wild card spot, they would need pretty big strides to be taken. And don't want to be a Debbie Downer, Adam, but I I think the Padres are probably on the outside looking. Oh, at I totally agree with you. I am not even completely convinced of them being too too much of a 500 win team. Maybe slightly more, but not really more than that. But we have heard the Padres say this is going to be our year. This is going to be your just you wait. We have so many young guys coming up, and seeing guys such as Mejia and Tatis last year. How much is riding on the Padres to do well in 2020? It's, I think it's more about seeing guys develop and take those next steps, uh, at least having some of the some of your core do that versus actually, you know, winning a wild card spot this year. I'm certainly they would love to get that done, but you've waited this long like you said we've been hearing it i believe the padres were one of like five or six teams in the four major american sports that didn't make a playoffs this decade or the last decade rather so i mean at some point you've got to get it done and it can't just be potential it's and you've got to actually go out there and get results i think they've got a little bit more time granted they can't totally bottom out and just be terrible this year and no one's going to say anything They've got to be decent. We've got to see improvement, but I don't think it's playoffs or bust this season. Yeah, as much as everyone wants to go on the Padres bandwagon and root for them and finally have them make the playoffs, which, as you mentioned, has been quite some time, they're not ready yet, and they would be wise to see 2020 as yet another development year. But maybe in 21, 22, we can see them make the playoffs. On that note, let's go to our over-under projections. Let's first start with the Dodgers, the favorites of the division. 
Their over-unders at 101.5. In 2019, they won 106 games. Henry, what do you think of that projection over-under? That is a really high total at 101.5, but that's a really good team. That is 100% a top-two team in baseball, and for that reason, I'm taking the over. It's a bold move, and I would have to agree with you there. I can't really see this Dodgers team losing 100 games. They could be even better than 2019. They may have lost Ryu and Maeda, but they gained Mookie Betts and all their young prospects that are coming up. And moving on to the Diamondbacks, they won 85 games in 2019. Their over-under is 83.5. What's your take? I feel like every preview we do, I'm always the over guy, but I'm going over again. You said it. They win 85 in 2019. The team, by all accounts, looks to have gotten better in the offseason. Why not? Why wouldn't they get 83 and a half? That, that seems like an over to me. I have to agree with you, too. I think I'm starting to turn into the over guy as well. When you mentioned that, I thought you were talking about me right there. Yeah, we're just optimists, yeah, I guess. and we mentioned earlier, this team could, it could be in the playoff fund, and playoff teams are not 83.5 win teams, so it has to be over. And this one is interesting. I'm excited to hear your take on this. Padres, they won 71 games in 2019. They are projected to win 82.5 in 2020, over-under. I would have to... Maybe go a little bit under on this one. I think they take a step forward from last season, but I think maybe they end up more in somewhere between 77 and 80 wins would be my window projection there. I I like the the talent in the rotation. I love Kirby Yates at the end of that bullpen. Um, I, I don't really know if there's quite enough uh, offensively there. So I, I think that, they might disappoint a little bit uh, at the plate this year, so I'm going to take on The Padres are actually notoriously known for their low on-base percentage, but just to be a little different and play devil's advocate, I'll take over, and only because, yes, although 11 and a half wins, I know half does not really count, but it, it would be a bit, a bit of a jump, but this team seems at least ready to be – around 500. You could be very well right, and it could probably it probably will be 77 to 80 wins, but I would say maximum this team can win 84 wins, and I'm going with the optimistic side there. But Yeah, I think it's certainly in the realm of possibilities. Yeah, yeah it's tough to tell with that team. The Rockies here, 74.5 wins. They won 71 in 2019. I can't really see them getting better. What's your over-under for them? That it's they're so tough to you know because you have to weigh. I mean, I guess you sound like you're not quite as high on their offense as I am, but for me, the it comes down to weighing how much I love their hitting versus how much I hate their <laughs> pitching. So if if I could do like separate, <laughs> I'm taking the over for the <laughs> offense for sure, but then for the defense, I have to take the under. 74 and a half. I still feel like the Rockies are better than that. I'll, I'll go over, but again, I wouldn't be surprised to see it the other way with how terrible that pitching is. It's another tough team to tell because they're only two years removed from going to the playoffs, counting 2020 inclusively. 
And they still have the talent to get there, but I can't really even see how 2018 wasn't a fluke. And they really could be a 75-win team or even better than that, but I'm going to have to go under just because I, I can't really see them building off of 2019 when they did nothing in the offseason. That's fair. I can see where you're coming from. Nice. And moving on to the Giants, they won 77 games in 2019, which seems a whole lot more than their 68.5 projected. What do you have to say about that? I don't think they should have won 77 (laughs) games last year. They kind of overperformed. I I didn't think they won that many. I'm taking under 68.5, and and I know it's weird to picture, but – I could very well see these Giants losing 100 games. They are bad. They There's not much there to to win games. Yeah, they did have the bullpen rallying for them, but that, when they lost Will Smith, that kind of seemed it. So, and they have a bit, maybe their younger guys will show up a bit more in 2020, but it's very tough. I could see them winning 70 games. I would have slightly over, but I would not be surprised they lost 100. Uh, but moving on, who's your MVP of the division? Well, there is the obvious pick. I don't, I don't really want to take – yeah, gosh darn it. Yeah, it's, it's probably Bellinger, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh no, there's Mookie too. I How forgot about Mookie. Mookie. He's there now. Yeah, no, he's the new guy. Uh, I'll still, I'll still go Bellinger. I think maybe there's a little bit of an adjustment for Mookie moving to the NL, but then again, pitchers are going to be adjusting to him too. So, uh, one of them two would probably be my my take. I'm not quite as high on Tatis as other people are, and I kind of think Manny Machado is not really all that good anymore but so I'd I'd go Bellinger would be my my uh long answer short yeah I agree with you there Bellinger seems I would even say slightly better than Betts even last year and with Betts being the new guy he's definitely gonna face some pressure I don't think he's gonna be as good as uh his 2018 campaign to say the least Bellinger seems posed to repeat what he did last year so I'd have to go with him but some dark horses could be Cattell Marte again, Tommy Pham. He could be a 30-30 player, which is very interesting. And Matt Spuncy has all the power in the world. So they can definitely certainly be top 10, but it seems like this MVP belongs to Bellinger and Betts. Honorable mention, Nolan Arenado. How could I forget him as I was grasping for straws <laughs> at the MVP candidates here in the division? Especially when you're hyping up the Rockies hitting. Yeah, <laughs> like all of like two minutes ago. <laughs> it happens, man. It happens. Ugh. But Ugh. let's move on to the Cy Young Award. It doesn't, I don't know if, about you, but it seems like to me that there aren't too, too many great Cy Young Award picks in this division besides Walker Bueller. Bumgarner, Paddock, maybe, and Kershaw. I, yeah, I think it's a little top-heavy where we do have some studs at the top here, but after that, there's not really a whole lot of dark horses jumping off the page at you. I would love to pick Paddock as my guy here, but I'm not confident that the Padres are totally going to turn him loose here and get him the innings that he would need to be the most valuable pitcher in the division. 
So I will probably uh, – I'm probably going to side with Walker Bueller here. He has been spectacular in his couple of years on the scene in the big leagues. He's got great strikeout stuff, low ERA. Uh, certainly seems like the heir to Kershaw's throne. Not that uh, that Kershaw is going anywhere anytime soon. He's plenty good himself, but I, I do think that Bueller has surpassed him at this point. I agree. Bueller is the true ace of the Dodgers rotation. And as for Paddock, I'm a little bit concerned about his second half of 2019. And the innings limit is a great point as well. Uh, as for the Diamondbacks, I I know this is Bumgarner post dirt bike injury, which is pretty hilarious. But he does not seem like the guy who's going to win the Cy Young Award anytime soon. Maybe John Gray or Herman Marquez could be in there, but even them, it could be a stretch. But moving on to the Rookie of the Year, this could also be very Dodgers for him too. But who's your pick for them? It is I'm probably am ultimately going to have to side with a Dodger. And again, I'm going to call out the Padres where I wish I could say Mackenzie Gore, but I don't really see him getting called up very soon. And I, I do hope that if nothing else, we see him at the end of the year. Um, but it, it might be a while waiting for him, but he is going to be special when he gets up. So I will probably, um, I'll probably go with Gavin Lux. I think he should play almost every day. Maybe, you know, we talked about how crowded it is uh, in that Dodgers infield. So maybe there's a little bit of a playing time split, but I think when he's out there, he's going to be great. And then they're ultimately going to have to play him more. He he looks like a talented young hitter. Honestly, I feel like Lutz is a bit overrated. He, he definitely has the potential to be 20 plus homers and be a solid at defense at second base and be over 300. But I was looking at stats, I remember a couple of weeks ago, and it seemed there's going to be some regression for him. And he wasn't as good as people thought he was in 2019. He still was very solid. He could still win rookie of the year. And he could still turn out to be a great player. But I think his teammate Dustin May is a little better. He, I just like his hair. It reminds me of the big red machine and Clint Frazier. And not only the hair, but he throws very hard, too. Ginger guard, <laughs> as he is affectionately known uh, by his Dodger teammates. He's He's got a lot of life in that arm. Um, I hope that the Dodgers will let him get a lot of innings. We know they've kind of manipulated some some innings in uh, in the past with Kenta Maeda. That was more contract related than anything. Uh, but maybe you know they're they have enough depth uh, in starting pitching to kind of play it safe with May. But while he's out there, he's certainly capable of giving you an awesome production. Uh, but yeah, I like Gavin Lux, and he did struggle uh, when he got to the bigs last season. But a career 305 batting average in the minors, pretty strong, and 866 OPS. Uh, and he has he's shown a little bit of speed and a little bit of pop. I think that he could flirt with 2020 production, uh, but really it will come down to the playing time for him. Uh, but certainly I wouldn't be surprised to see Dustin May being the most valuable rookie in the division. I actually didn't well. realize that about Lutz in the minors. So he definitely – has the potential to be a pretty good hitter, but I feel it's just a bit too early for 2020. But we have to wrap this up pretty soon. So 
Henry, who's your winner of the division? I think we can both agree on this pretty easily. Yeah, that'd be the Los Angeles Dodgers, yep, my I friend. Agree. And how would you compare the NL West to other divisions? This is our last question or debate. Not too much of a debate because we agree on so many things. But last topic of the night, how does this division compare to the other ones in baseball? I think that the big part of that, uh, answering that question, it's hinging on the Rockies to me. If they can get back to the team they were two, three years ago, then this is one of the strongest divisions in baseball. It's in that argument. But if the Rockies are bad, if they're bottom feeders, and then you have them and the Giants at the bottom, then this is an awfully polarized division between the Dodgers at the top and then those two teams. Uh, And then I do like... I like Arizona to be pretty good, and I think San Diego is kind of hovering around 500 like you predicted. Yeah, I would actually just add the Padres to that mix too because the Padres can also break out. That would certainly help this division's chance. It's tough to tell which division is the best, but it certainly could be very entertaining. Dodgers are career favorites, but just who would come in second and who would kind of battle around the Dodgers a bit. But nonetheless, that is all we have for tonight. Thank you for listening to Henry and I on the Exit Field podcast. It is not goodbye. It is see you later. And I hope you guys enjoy your Thursday night and the rest of the weekend. Till next time.